0: Ahoy, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 258 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining me today. It's a gorgeous day here in New Jersey, but uh, more importantly, we don't have to talk about the Mets losing today because it is still the off season. This is what passes for optimism in these parts right around now, guys, so uh, strap in. No, but really, uh, Chris McShane and I have a nice chat about a little bit of Mets news and our rooting interest for the rest of the playoffs, so enjoy. Well, Chris, after a little uh, much-deserved break, we are back with another episode of the podcast. We don't have too much news to talk about, but we're going to run through two quick news items, then we're going to play a little game. Uh, First bit of news, the Mets, as of the 2019 season, will no longer be hosting their AAA team in Las Vegas. Instead, they will be in Syracuse. Uh, Reports say that the Mets are buying the AAA affiliate, the Syracuse Chiefs, as they are currently known for their AAA spot once their contract with Las Vegas runs out. Obviously, Syracuse is not right around the corner, but you can drive to Syracuse faster than you can fly to Las Vegas, and so this is a very, very positive development for the Mets and their minor league affiliates. It puts their two highest uh, affiliates in state with them. It essentially puts you know all but the... Uh, the Columbia and the and the Saint Lucie teams, I guess uh, Kingsport as well. But you know, it, it puts it puts a lot of their sort of more um, high profile affiliates in state with them. It's it's a it's a move the team's been trying to make for a while to get away from Vegas. Do you have any strong feelings about this?
1: I mean, I'm excited about it. I I was actually pleasantly surprised when I went to Google Maps. Uh as soon as I heard the news <laughs> and looked it up and and I thought it would be a little bit longer than this but it's only about a 4 hour and 20 minute drive from and I just put in the you know city of Syracuse but still from Syracuse to City Field um that's not too bad and you know th- like you said uh the amount of time you have to spend on the trip itself is less and you don't have to depend on any sort of availability not that like Vegas New York flights are unheard of <laughs> Right. By by any means, but uh, you know, if if something comes up and things come up, uh, if you're the Mets at say midnight and you have a day game the next day, you know that 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 guy in AAA uh, probably has his own car, but even if he doesn't, you know, you, you can get the guy a car, right? Um, and of course, you can fly in from Syracuse as well. But I'm just saying, you you don't have to rely on the airplane. To get a right. guy here, and that's that's nice, you know. So that, that combined with getting out of the environment of, uh, you know, just a kind of a different universe of baseball. I think will do good for the team. It's it's got to be, you know. And I, I sometimes try to keep things in perspective that we're not that far removed from things going really well <laughs>
0: right, for the major yeah. league
1: team, but. This has to be one of the most, like, no-brainer, hands-down, wow, this is a good thing the Mets did.
0: Yes. Uh, I am correct when I said that they are buying the team, right? Yes. And maybe that that was
1: the only way to get a franchise to agree to work with them.
0: (laughs) Maybe. But that that seems like a big deal to me because, you know, as we know, I mean, the the Mets were in Tidewater for, I mean, for how many years?
1: I think it was 20 or
0: 25. It was a, it was a long, long time, but then since then they have been to New Orleans, they've been to Buffalo and now they've been to uh, Las Vegas. and so to ha- to own the team puts a a really nice bit of stability. I mean the Mets can essentially stop worrying about their AAA affiliate in, in terms of where they're going to be housed for the rest you know in perpetuity and that that's a huge deal for the team. Um, especially because, I mean, Buffalo was was a decent fit for them, but in terms of other, other places they've played, I mean, Las Vegas is about as inconvenient as you can imagine. And it's also, you know, not that fans of the Major League team are necessarily going to flock to AAA games, but, I mean, I think... I think the benefit of them being in Syracuse beyond just from a player development standpoint or anything like that, just in terms of revenue, you know, if somebody's making a rehab start in Syracuse, there are enough rabid fans who want to see Noah Syndergaard, who will drive to Syracuse to, to make this happen. You know, it, it might create a little bit of excitement around the Triple the A team. Not that that's the most important part of a of an affiliate by any stretch, but it's a nice little side product.
1: Yeah, and you know, especially if you take. I'm I'm still in New York City, so I'm you know not nearly as close to Syracuse. But if you took a fan who is in maybe the Hudson Valley, right, and and said you know they're an hour closer, then Syracuse isn't as wild uh, a a place to go, and it just kind of opens things up that you know you can see those AAA Mets when they play in Scranton, right. Uh, when they play in Providence, you know, it's, or, yeah, is technically in Providence, right? Maybe it's. Uh,
0: I believe it's in, in Pawtucket still, but I could be wrong.
1: Oh, I thought they moved. Maybe that didn't happen
0: yet. I, I know they were talking about it. I don't, I, I have been to Pawtucket. I have, I, would I, if they've moved to Providence, I have not been there yet.
1: Yeah. I've so yeah, been what? to Providence. I think, not to I the, think it, not it the hasn't stadium. happened yet, but it was a thing they talked about. So I just, you know. Okay. Yeah. Got ahead of him. Anyway, uh, is Trenton also a
0: Triple A? No, Trenton's
1: Double A in the, uh, double, yes, in the yes, Eastern yes, League. Yes, 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 um, Oh yeah, the Lehigh Valley Iron yeah, Pigs. Iron
0: Pigs, yeah, yeah. I They're not that said, far
1: yeah. away, so no. you can you can see your Triple A Mets starting. Um, you know, the year after next, in a variety of places that are. Not that far of a drive, and depending on where you live, you know, if you live in Jersey or Connecticut, um, maybe even a reasonable drive to to get to. So that that is nice. Um, I also
0: think just in terms of expanding the map of Mets fans. You know the Yankees always seem to have a larger footprint than the Mets did, and by having the AAA team in New York State, but you know, upstate a bit, it might get some more upstate fans for the franchise. And not that there are too many tangible everyday benefits to that from the team's perspective, but it's certainly not a bad thing.
1: Right. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a no brainer that, that they had this opportunity to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how you have that mix in the minor leagues of affiliates that are owned by their parent team and affiliates that are not, um, you know, just the way things go, I'd be surprised if it didn't trend more towards the team owning it, because it's it, and it seems like even if you're losing money on the operation of that team, the value that you get from owning it, calling all the shots, and ultimately determining you know where it's located, uh, what it's named, who who's playing there. Obviously, you've always had the ability to make those decisions, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a good move.
0: Yeah. I think it's certainly a positive, a positive move, no matter how you slice it. Um, the other bit of news, and this is really nothing worth reporting about, but we have to talk about something here in the off season. Uh, three <laughs> of the, uh, the Mets managerial candidates have, have interviews that either have happened or will be happening in the next couple of days. Um, Alex Cora met with the team, I believe today, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, uh, for the opening, even though he is still considered the frontrunner for the Red Sox uh, position. Uh, also, Kevin Long interviewed uh, last Friday for the position, and it appears that Super Joe McEwing will have an interview sometime this week or early next week for the position as well. Other names have been mentioned, but those are the only three that it seems like we've been given a, a, a sort of realistic time frame in terms of, of interview opportunities. Uh, does anyone from that list, after further reflection from when you, me, and Steve spoke two weeks ago about this, is anyone from that list particularly stand out to you as a good option?
1: I mean, I think it's still Cora. And I, I say that uh, Jonah Carey had written a piece about managerial hirings and firings, and how none of us, including the people who make those decisions, uh, know what they... Yeah, are, are really doing
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Um. So with that caveat, Cora is appealing simply because of the role he's had uh, with the Astros, the the praise that he's gotten from, you know, his, his colleagues there, uh, seemingly throughout the industry. You know, it's something that I think he gets painted a lot as like the sabermetrics guy. And that may or may not actually be true. You know, uh, one thing that Mark Carrick has been bringing up with some regularity during these playoffs is that Joe Madden sort of has that, you know, progressive forward thinking managerial uh, reputation Mm -hmm. that may or may not actually be reflected in the decisions he makes and the way he manages the baseball game. So, so yeah, with all of that said, um, I think Cora is the one who's the most interesting uh, for the Mets. I'm not totally opposed to either of the other two. I, I would I'd rank it of those three: Cora, Long, McEwing. And I, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm a Joe McEwing uh, revisionist or something here, but I feel like he, we we loved him too much when he played. When you look back, <laughs> like it, it wasn't good. And I know he had some moments and stuff. Um, but I, I feel like there's a little bit too strong of a um, nostalgic
0: attachment to him. Well, you know he he was he was he was a Met when it was rough being a Met for a lot of those years. You know, yeah. like he was there in two thousand three, two thousand four. So he was he was a bright spot and was otherwise a miserable organization at that point. He was also very good to a young David Wright, which yep. I feel like goes a long way. In our collective uh, Mets understanding, like you know, you're you're good to Wright, you're good to us, um, that that sort of a thing. I remember Wright being vocal about his release in 2005, which is funny because Wright was entering his first full season as a Met and was like openly criticizing him <laughs> for for releasing uh, for releasing uh, McEwing. Um, the only reason I, I think I'm a little bit more down on Cora than maybe you are. Is and I, I don't even mean this in terms of um, style, like I want to say. Essentially, Cora has never managed any place before, and not that I think you can look at a at a manager's previous assignment, especially like you know McEwing hasn't managed above I believe it's single A or double A, and but he has some experience, and Long actually managed um, a single A team earlier in his career as well. And I'm not saying you can look at those records as being instructive at all. It's just that there are certain parts of the job that they won't be learning on the job because they've done it before. And I'm not saying that those things are the hardest things in the world to learn, nor that Cora wouldn't have people around him who could help him with those with those things. It's just nice to know that some of the basics would be already covered. Right. That That's my only real uh, feeling about any of those guys. I slightly prefer the two guys that have managed at some point in their careers before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh And maybe Cora managed in the Winter Leagues. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I I'm trying like to remember. <laughs> it's possible. Um one thing I'm accuing, we have so many moments I feel like we're uh where the player or the coach or the, the, the baseball person, let's just put it mm-hmm. that way. It makes us feel old because he's gotten Old or whatever, but Joe yeah, McEwing yeah. is only forty-four.
0: Have uh, you seen his gray hair, though?
1: For a couple more days, <laughs> so let's just say he's—we'll say he's forty-five. But still, it feels like he should
0: be a lot older than that, right? It does, but have you seen his gray hair? Uh, I have not. <laughs> okay, he—he—he he, looks—he uh, looks more silvered than you'd expect for a forty-five-year-old. I mean, says the guy who has—you know—I I am. I am going gray around the temples myself. I'm not. I'm not judging here. It's just you know, he oh, yeah. looks a bit older than 45.
1: I'm I'm most of the way there myself, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, hey, that that's fine. The baseball reference page still says 44 and 363 days, which it feels <laughs> like he hasn't played in a while, and he hasn't, and he's still only that age. So I think that's. Uh,
0: I want to say I want the Mets were not his last major league stop. I want to say he played for one or two more teams after that. But he probably hasn't played the majors since 06, right?
1: Uh, correct, on 06. And in 06, he made six plate appearances for the Astros. And the year before that, he played more in a regular Joe McEwing capacity for the Royals.
0: Okay. So if he's if he'll be 45 in at the end of 2017, the, in the 2006 season, he was 34? Right, and
1: age 33 season so yeah, right a, at the, yeah, at the yeah.
0: end of it yep yeah. yeah he did seem older than that you're right
1: yeah so there you go i'm trying to provide some optimism <laughs> um
0: but you know again who knows about all this i i i do think that um if alderson is going to be the driving force behind this hire then uh i feel a lot better about it if this is if the Wilpons are going to find a way to get their guy in there, I, I don't know who their guy would be in this scenario, but I do hope that Alderson has some autonomy with this decision. Yeah, but we'll see. All right, Chris. To wrap up tonight, let's uh, let's talk about the playoffs for a bit. Here we are. Um, we're looking at as of recording tonight. The Yankees have have somehow tied the series after. Houston went up 2-0. Two, two I know, I know. And after that, you know, both of those games, the first two games, were like low-scoring, just great games to watch, super fun. And then the Yankees had to ruin it all by coming back. But the Yankees are tied 2-2. The, uh, the Dodgers, I believe, are still winning tonight, which if they win tonight, will put them up three games to none uh, against the Cubs. And uh, Astros-Cubs was, I guess, what I was rooting for as of the championship series starting so I can't be too mad about that but the real reason to be rooting for Astros Cubs uh, Astros Dodgers rather is that um those are the only two teams left that have former Mets playing for them so let's let's just let's just talk about who we're rooting for here um the Dodgers have the Salmon Man the great Curtis Granderson uh playing for them and they also have the um maybe the most frustrating former Matt out there. Uh, if not second to Daniel Murphy, Justin Turner, the, no, uh, the I'd say the most, the most. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that too. Um, so you got Turner and Granderson playing for the Dodgers as well as you have a noted Met killer, both, uh, on the field and specifically on the base pads when doing dirty slides of a scumbag, uh, chase Hutley on that team which he, I know he's not a former Met, but he does somewhat factor into my thinking about that team. Yeah. Because, you know, fuck that guy forever. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Astros, on the other hand, have two former Mets that I, that I am uh, a big fan of, as well as a, oh yeah, he played for the Mets guy on the team. They have uh, Juan Centeno as one of their backup catchers. Oh yeah. I
1: keep rooting for Juan Centeno, who has barely played and rightfully so. Yeah, given the construction of their roster, but he's on it. I keep rooting for him to somehow randomly have like a major pinch hit, you know, uh, yeah,
0: something, m- some sort of moment. big moment.
1: Yeah, so that we can get columns about why the Mets let
0: Juan Santino go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but the, the you know they would oh, be there. Oh, of course it will be there. yeah. yeah. Uh, who would be who would be the writer most likely to write that first column? Oh man hmm
1: m e yeah but he's not really a columnist that's true that's true might tweet about it first but yeah uh... yeah I don't know I'll take the fifth but there's like six Joel Sherman maybe <laughs> yeah yeah I can I I don't mind saying anything bad about him on the podcast yeah. Sherman
0: yeah Lupica does he still write about sports? Maybe. Who knows. <laughs> I don't. Read, I don't read the daily news. So.
1: Yeah, I don't know why sports columns still exist, but um. Yeah, that's another well, I, topic.
0: I <laughs> that that's a way deep in the offseason topic if we ever cover it at all. <laughs> um, but then the, the the two Mets that are other Mets that are on the Astros that are you know undeniably fun to root for are. Uh, Mr. Selfish himself, Carlos Beltran, and Colin McHugh, one of the more intelligent and thoughtful guys to ever play for the Mets. Um, I think both of these guys are very rootable. That's not a word, but let's let's pretend it is. Um, and, yeah, for me, this is pretty easy. I'm pulling for the Astros. What about you?
1: Yeah, and I think... I felt that way too coming into the playoffs that yeah. they were an easy team. My only two priorities were that the nationals would be eliminated preferably in the first round. And that happened. Um, and then the Yankees would be eliminated, which, you know, as much as it feels right at this moment in time, like the Astros are in trouble, it's been shortened now just to, a you know, a best of MCS. three. Yeah. So, and, and the Astros have their, their ace and their, you know, well, well, he's a number two at this point in his career. I think that's fair to say. Um, lined up to pitch the next two games. So they're they're really very much still in it. But, yeah, I came into it thinking the Astros, if I had to, you know, clear out those two teams that I just couldn't stand watching win, um, the Astros are probably the most likable team for the combination of the specific X mets who are on it um and just you know the way that they've gone about you know developing players and acquiring some other guys to complement them um you know it's just a solid team and easily the best middle infield combo in the game oh yeah um i don't is anybody even close really I know Cubs fans would probably say they are, but they're not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I can't, I don't know. We're, we're at the point that only a few teams are playing games and, you know. I mean, Ahmed
0: Rosario and Jose Reyes. Oh, yeah. Well, we're we're halfway there. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, and that was not a Bon Jovi reference. I will not stand by a Bon Jovi reference on this podcast. You
1: are from New Jersey.
0: Yeah, but I would not stand for that.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, just that combination of, of those two, um, you know, Springer, uh, the, the pitching staff, including McHugh. Um, I'm not the world's biggest Verlander fan, but I, I'm certainly not a Verlander hater. Um, you know, it its
0: it, a fun story.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I li- I like the. The undersized guy on paper, uh, who's better at the game
0: than he has any right to be.
1: (laughs) Right. 98% of his peers who are already in, you know, like the very select group. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, a long-winded way of saying it, the Astros would have been the the single team that I found the most appealing coming into it. Um, Ranking who's left now it's it would certainly for me Astros Dodgers Cubs and then a very large gap and then the Yankees um,
0: see I am not as as much of a Yankee hater as many of, of as many other Mets Met fans are I guess but um, I do I do very much respect the job Brian Cashman did this season right and i think that, that he deserves all the credit in the world and so the only reason I wouldn't be too upset if the Yankees won was I feel like first of all they they do they're doing it in a very non-Yankees fashion, they, they, they they're not this isn't a bought championship if they win, and it might shine a little bit more light on just the the job that Cashman has done, and maybe would uh, you know inspire the Wilpons to give a little more uh, leverage to, uh, to Sandy, even though I don't really see that happening, but you know a boy can dream.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they still, by Yankee standards, their payroll went down. So that's like a momentous occasion, right? But yeah, they they still have some very highly paid players. Uh, in, in this game, game four tonight, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury, who's making $21 million this year, appeared as a pinch runner.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: that's a nice luxury to have. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, your, your, your overall point, Cashman did make a lot of good moves and all that. Um, completely objectively speaking, it's probably one of the more likable Yankee teams in a while. But I I thought, I I don't want to say I'd gotten over hating the Yankees, but just the way it all came about, it was very easy to kind of, you know, maybe fool myself into thinking, oh, I've matured a little. I don't really hate the Yankees. As a Giants and Rangers fan, you know, Jets and Islanders fans are very antagonistic and very focused on hating those teams. And I, I, you know, tell myself a lot like, Oh, I don't want to be like that. You know, I might not root for them, but I don't, I don't want to be like obsessed with and focused with that team because my team isn't good. Right. But then all of a sudden the Mets had the worst year in terms of expectations and reality, their worst season since 2009. Um, and the Yankees rebuild showed up uh, a year, two years earlier than anybody really anticipated. So it came back with full force. I cannot <laughs> have the Yankees winning. Can't
0: have it. Well, for your sake, then I will I will uh, <laughs> I'll do my best to root against them for you. Just it's, for you, Chris. Well thank
1: you. I will say that the two games that I've watched in their entirety, they won, and the two games that I only saw parts of, they lost. So, so don't watch tomorrow. Right. As someone who's also tried to get over and past any superstitions in sports, might be getting back into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're just reverting back. We're 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 devolving here, De- yeah. digressing, whatever. However, we're gonna put it. Yeah. Um. Any Any hopes for the rest of the playoffs? Since the next time we talk, it'll probably be in in the World Series. Um.
1: I mean, the Cubs were, were kind of annoying last year. Like, I hope that was it. I hope that's the end of their run. I, I could live with them doing more good things and, you know, whatever. They're going to get treated like uh, they walk on water in, in terms of coverage and everything. Um, that's fine. But, yeah, I, I just hope. I hope the Dodgers come in well-rested and are ready to go in case we have the worst-case scenario that they're playing the Yankees. Right. Um, but Dodgers-Astros would, would really, truly be fun. And I I, I I get it that people are saying that this is a fun Yankees team, especially compared to, you know.
0: The Yankees teams, yeah.
1: Right. Like they used the, the – and I to be clear, I hate this. But they use a thumbs down, and that's like the most personality a Yankee team has had. Has ever had, yes. Right, the (laughs) thumbs down and the uh, fake press conference after – I know it's uh, Gregorius does it after he hits some runs. I don't know if it's all of them. right? Um, But those tiny little pieces of personality are like the most, as you said, that a Yankee team has shown. Uh, Maybe ever, but certainly any time in the modern –
0: you know, in my memory of the yeah. Yankees. Um, uh, can I can I float you my dream scenario? Yeah, of course. All right, my dream scenario is an Astros-Dodgers um, World Series. Mm-hmm. It's game seven, tied, Carlos Beltran's on first base. <laughs> Somebody hits a weak ground ball. They're going to turn two. And Beltron takes out Chase Utley and breaks his fucking leg. <laughs> that would endear Beltron back into the Mets fans' good graces, where he never should have left. Yeah. He's now a Met hero forever and can comfortably go in the Hall of Fame wearing a Mets cap.
1: Yeah. You know, one thing I thought as the uh and that's that's excellent. That's poetic. Okay. Yes it's it's beautiful really um
0: and but and, and the winning run scores as utley is writhing on the ground i forgot to mention that part there's also a man on third
1: oh yeah yeah, yeah. of course yeah yeah, yeah yeah i mean hey if he takes him out hard enough Beltran could just score himself right that is
0: true. That's, that's even better actually yeah and then but, his uh, knees explode
1: <laughs> <laughs> like confetti <laughs> and, and i will say that like chase utley getting hurt is one of I don't know two players in baseball who I could truly enjoy that happening to. Yeah,
0: I hate that I feel that way, but I agree.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, what was my? I had a thought. Oh, right. Uh, when the Nationals were officially eliminated and Harper got you know struck out to end that series, uh-huh. I did have that thought in my mind that like, oh, you know, if if, if he were met in that spot would Mets fans let him off the hook because he swung? Just, you know, going back to the 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 Beltron reference. And the answer is no. Like, of course they wouldn't. Like, the thing that everybody harped on since 2006 was that he didn't swing. But if he swung and missed, it would have been, oh, it's just that he struck out.
0: And, you know, if the pitch was just slightly lower and he swung, he swung up all four, they're going to say. Right. So there's no way to win this. No, no,
1: no, no. That 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 pitch got released from Adam Wainwright's hand and that was it. Yeah. There was no you know, you would still get the uh unclutch and blah 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 um from Mets fans. If anything short of a successful outcome would have been harped on for a decade. Um But hey, it's still that, that's still a good barometer in my book. If you ask a Met fan that you just met, oh, what did you think of Carlos Beltran? You, you can judge them based on their answer.
0: So, listeners, if you meet Chris McShane <laughs> at a bar or baseball game and he asks you your thoughts on Carlos Beltran, give him a thumbs up.
2: a pitching coach's success or failure usually depends on the success or failure of the pitchers themselves. That being said, no rotation flourishes without guidance. So here are the top five pitching coaches the Mets have ever had. We start with number five, a former Met reliever, Bob Apodaca, who served under Bobby Valentine from the latter part of 1996 until his departure in the middle of the 1999 season. In the steroid era, pitching numbers were severely skewed, so what was an ugly ERA in the 1960s is classified as a brilliant one in the late 1990s. Apodaca oversaw the emergence of Rick Reed, who went 13-9 with a 2.89 ERA in 1997. Also that year, Bobby Jones became an All-Star with the 15-9 mark and a 3.63 ERA. John Frankel also chipped in with 36 saves. In 1998, Al Leiter's first year in New York may have been his best, as he went 17-6 and with an ERA of 2.47, while Rick Reed also posted another solid campaign. On to number four, and a self-proclaimed mound whisperer, Rick Peterson, who felt he could fix any pitcher, no matter his condition. It didn't exactly work with Victor Zambrano and Oliver Perez, but Peterson's staffs held their own despite constantly being overshadowed by great hitting. His group improved upon his arrival in 2003 to have a collective ERA of 3.76 just two years later. Veterans Pedro Martinez and Tom Glavin each were among the leaders in wins above replacement that year, while mostly the same bunch did its job in helping the Mets to a division title in 2006. At number three, it's the most recent Mets pitching coach, Dan Warthen. The young nucleus of Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Matt Harvey, and Stephen Matz was honed in the minor leagues, but nurtured by Worthen in the majors. When collectively together, and unfortunately, it hasn't been for long, the staff was as good as any in baseball. But Worthen's time with the Mets goes even further back, way back, in fact, to 2008, with Johan Santana leading the rotation. Eventually, an unknown in R.A. Dickey, who had failed at every other stop in the big leagues, used his knuckleball to achieve 20 victories and the Cy Young in 2012. Now on to number 2, Mel Stottlemyre, the pitching coach of the 1986 World Champions and the 1988 NL East Champs. Stottlemyre and the Mets maintained one of the deepest rotations in the game from 1984, when he came on board, through 1990 consistently among the tops in all of baseball in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. The bullpens were also superb, with Jesse Orozco, Roger McDowell, and Randy Myers. Stottlemyre left the Mets after 1993, and went on to win multiple championships with the New York Yankees. And here is the number one pitching coach in Mets history, and it's also the longest tenured, Rube Walker, who entered with Gil Hodge's managerial tenure in 1968, through the Yogi Berra era, and all the way until 1981. Tom Seaver, Jerry Kuzman, John Matlack, and Tug McGraw, among others, were all developed under Walker's watch. The Mets had their finest pitching seasons during Walker's time, and pitching was the main reason why they won the World Series in 1969 and the National League pennant in 1973. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at BrianWright86. Hi, this
3: is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio, and this week I want to talk about what the whole Mets world is talking about, and that's the team's search for a new manager after Terry Collins' Stepped down, accepted a uh, special assistant role in the front office. So now the team needs a new skipper, and them the Mets are interviewing guys this week, including Alex Cora, Joe McEwing, two of their former infielders, and there's also other more experienced names out there. I want to talk about Alex Cora first because by the time by the time this is up on the internet, he he might have already already. Been uh, signed by the Red Sox because he's the front runner for the Boston position. Uh, there are sources that think he can he he's going to be the guy there uh, very soon. So so uh, I, I and it's interesting the fascination with him because he's one of those guys who's he's a uh, a bench coach, which is which is usually the job guys take before they're. They're ready for a managerial role or if they're uh, it's basically the assistant coach role in Major League Baseball is that is that bench coach coach job it's where a lot of managers come from So Corps is the Astros bench coach and that's obviously an organization that relies heavily on on analytics and he's been learning from A.J. Hinch and that's why he has become a very popular candidate for the these these manager job openings, of which the Mets are one. And the thing about Cora is he doesn't have any major league managing experience. He's still relatively young for a manager, although that shouldn't matter that much. I'm more concerned about his lack of experience, although that seems to be the trend these days is to grab a guy who's not so far removed as a big league player and put him in the manager's chair and see how he does. Uh one thing's for sure is that he's more on par and able to relate to the players than an, an older manager. But it's it's kind of strange. I feel like I feel like teams are just looking at a guy who hasn't failed yet, as opposed to someone who a lot of Mets fans aren't really looking forward to and who has uh, recently re- taken his name out of the manager search, who's Brad Osmus, who is still relatively young at age 48, but he's got four years uh, managing of experience managing a big league team with Detroit. So does that make him more valuable or less valuable? Uh, according to a lot of people, it makes him less of an ideal candidate than Alex Cora, which is strange because if you're just thinking about a job, the fact that he already has experience at the big league level and, yeah he didn't he didn't win a, a ton in Detroit, but he was dealing with an aging roster. Uh, the farm system just recently started to rebuild didn't really get to to taste the uh, fruits of the labor there uh, as they were as they were starting to rebuild they had this aging roster uh, they they had they just dealt away verlander they didn't Osmus uh, only saw about Peak verlander probably for about one season so he was kind of in an awkward spot there, didn't have a ton of success, but uh, the experience, it doesn't seem to be a plus for him, at least in the minds of the fans who don't want to see him in the Mets job. Uh, so, it, 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 But it doesn't matter. It doesn't look like it's going to be awesome. I just think it's interesting how the experience is counting against him. He He did have some sketchy moments with the media there, which... Will lead some people to think he'll be eaten alive by the East Coast media, either in Boston or New York, which are two of the biggest openings. And uh it doesn't look like he's gonna get to prove himself in either of those markets, but but uh but the we know how that, that whole media thing gets overblown, where the the media thinks there's this big mad machine that's just gonna chew people up and spit them out. And certainly Terry Collins had his moments, he had his little miniature outburst this year that wasn't that was more of a molehill than a mountain, but uh, but the, the point is, point is, guys are going to have run in ins with the media because they they get in a losing streak and it's a 162 game season and they they're sick of tired and uh, sick and tired of saying the same thing day after day. So, I think Brad Ausmus will be all right. A lot of people don't like him. Doesn't look like he's going to be the Mets guy. Someone who might still be the guy is Joe McEwing. Who's another? He's the bench coach for the White Sox. He stayed on even after uh, Robin Ventura was let go in favor of Rick Renteria. So you get the feeling that they like him there. And he's another guy never been a big league manager, but he's been he's a little more uh, a farther removed from the big leagues than Alex Cora. So maybe some more. Be- he's he's got more experience probably as a bench coach, and and um, that makes him. Kind of the in-between option, he's not s- just fresh off a big league career. He's done, uh, I believe he, he was, uh, before he was the bench coach of the White Sox, he was the, he was the third base coach. So he's got experience doing a few different things, and that would be interesting. Obviously, he was a really likable guy when he played for the Mets at the turn of the century. Uh, as a utility guy, he's certainly got experience from a lot of different positions, and, and that can help him out being a manager, because usually we like to see these catchers because they have experience hitting and with the pitching staff, so McEwing can bring a certain type of versatility because of what he did as a big leaguer. So he would be an interesting choice, and certainly fans would would love that uh, early 2000s nostalgia with McEwing. A less popular choice, Ron Gardenhire still hasn't gotten a job since he was fired by the Twins, uh, two or three years ago, they now are rolling with Paul Molitor. I believe they just extended him. He's done a good job with that club, reaching the wild card game uh, this year after losing hundred games last year. So they're happy with Paul Molitor. Ron Gardenhire, though, he managed the team for over a decade, and that kind of st- stability is is almost unheard of these days. But he has not gotten another job. Since and that might be because he's an old school guy, not considered a very analytical guy, and teams are moving away from those older managers. So we still don't know who the Mets are gonna are going to hire. Uh, Newsday has recently learned that Bob Garen and Chip Hale, two former Mets bench coaches, Bob Garen now the uh, current Dodgers bench coach, as they are appear to be on their way to the World Series with a three 0 lead over the Cubs. He is said to be not in the running. neither is Chip Hale, who's just one year removed from being the Arizona Diamondbacks manager, Bob Garen said to be an analytical guy, he, you'd think he'd be a good fit, since he just recently worked with the Mets, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, so their top court choice is probably Alex Cora, because that seems to be everyone's top choice these days, but if Cora... Goes with Boston, and, and they seem to have a more complete roster over there. The Mets could uh, have Joe McEwing, but, or they could get someone who, who they haven't interviewed yet and who hasn't even been a rumor yet. So we will keep you posted on AmazingAvenue.com. One other situation that's close to the Mets, that's a manager situation I wanted to talk about, is Dusty Baker with the Washington Nationals. He's once again exits, He once again exits the NLDS in a really... Disappointing fashion, the Nationals lose in, uh, in a 5th in a 5th game heartbreaker, and they are left out of the NLC. It's really amazing that a club with that much talent hasn't reached the National League Championship Series. They've never won, of course, a playoff series in their franchise history, even though they've had a lot more regular season success than our New York Mets. So Dusty Baker's contract has expired. He's done a great job with the club. Although I disagree with his lineup decisions, with Wilmer Defoe batting second, and he, he moves down Anthony Rendon, even though Rendon's one of the most valuable players in the National League. They, even despite that, he's done a great job with, with Washington, because they after the Matt Williams disaster, they've won the division two years in a row. And that's, there's something to, to be said for that. The players seem to enjoy playing for him. And things have gone smoothly until, of course, they hit that playoff postseason bugaboo uh, that has been a problem for them. Uh, the point is Baker is 68 years old and the Nationals might not bring him back. They have never had a, uh, a manager since they moved to Washington complete three seasons with the team. So we talk about Ron Gardenhire and, and lasting for so long. Well, the Nationals are an example of the opposite of that, where they just haven't had a consistent guy. If they let go Baker, you can't really blame them because he's getting up in age, which is is where Terry Collins, Terry Collins around is in his late 60s, and he just stepped down as manager. So Dusty Baker would be the oldest guy if the Nationals do retain him, but they might go in a younger direction. But but uh, if, if it's just based on the job he's done there, so far I'd say Baker deserves to be brought back, but with another loss in the NLDS... The the Nationals have a reason to go another direction. Although the postseason, there's only so much a manager can do. You get through a, hundred, a whole 162 game season, and while you can you can bring his bullpen management and his lineup management into question. I know he was criticized. He didn't change the lineup, even though it was only batting 130. But like in a five game small sample size, who cares if they're only batting 130 in the postseason? Uh, if if they're good players, they should be able to hit. Didn't work out for him. You can examine the bullpen management, and it's like every manager has his bullpen management brought into question, so I don't think Dusty Baker's on anything to lose the job, but his contract's up, and we don't know if he's going to be brought back, so that'll be interesting to see, because Mets and Washington could both have new managers next year, and... And uh, we, we continue to wait. We continue to wait. Who's going to be the leader of the Mets next year? Is it going to be an old guy? Is it going to be a young guy? Is going to be someone who's been a manager before? Is it going to be someone who hasn't been a manager before? It's very exciting time for the Mets as we enter the off season following the World Series. So stay tuned. MasonAvenue.com will update you on all the goings-on. This has been Aaron York from MasonAvenue.com.
0: folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening we truly appreciate it we hope you're having a good off season and we uh we hope that you're feeling optimistic about 2018 mets we haven't decided how we feel yet hopefully we will join you in that optimism until then please go to amazing check out our season review series our recaps of the various minor league affiliates uh morning news Mind-bogglers, lots of the fun stuff you've come to expect from Amazing Avenue. We will continue to deliver in the off-season. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please follow us there. We appreciate that as well. We would also appreciate a review, a rating, and a subscription from you on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or if you get your podcasts for this show, the show you're listening to right now. If you like it, please rate and review us. And the subscription helps quite a bit as well. You can also download the show directly from our host, blogtalkradio.com. And last but certainly not least, you can follow the contributors to the show on Twitter. I am at Brian Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane, Aaron is at Aaron P. York, and Brian is at Brian Wright 86 So next time we talk, it'll probably be uh, the World Series, if not even maybe the end of the World Series, depending on how things shake out. But I think we can all agree... As long as the Yankees don't win, we're okay. And so, until next time, let's go Mets.